I don't know if I've ever, like, gone for a ride in this car. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you have. Have I? What, yeah. What movie? The Northman, I think, we took. Oh, maybe. Yeah. And maybe Spider-Man The Way Home. Yes. Spider-Man. Definitely so, Spider-Man. When we went and saw it in IMAX. We did both of those pretty close to each other. Yeah. Those were, like, maybe a month apart. Something like that, yeah. And now, our feature presentation. Welcome back to Road Trip Cinema. I'm your host, Saeed, with my co-host, John Rhodes. I don't have anything fancy for this one, like Monster Hunter. I'm not Mila Jovovich, so sorry. So, in an odd turn, nice. I just, I just realized what you were saying. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I never saw it. Uh, oh, me either. And uh, I'm kind of taking lead on the Godzilla stuff we're about to have, because we're going to do Godzilla 1954 now. Uh, do you know I actually have a Godzilla tattoo on my arm? Have I ever shown you that? I'm not sure, to be honest. It's just the title card from the initial film's posters. It's Godzilla in the Japanese font that goes vertically rather than horizontally. So that's it. It's just a big, fat bubble lettering that says Godzilla. Or Go- Gojira, I guess, technically. Tattooed on my arm. Nice. But Godzilla, 1954 classic obviously we're not going to be discussing anything too new about it (laughs) but this is following up our review of godzilla minus one so in the heat of the moment let's fucking let it rip yeah i mean this is how we do it we we don't front load no 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 we ride the bandwagon and you know back load so people have been talking about minus one for like last three weeks straight now since it released in japan so if anything we're just trying to play catch up (laughs) (laughs) but uh, Godzilla, 1954, directed by Ishiro Honda, written by Ishiro Honda and Takeo Murata, I think. I'm butchering, obviously, all the Japanese names. I don't fucking know them. But kind of created as a, a political statement. And it's not initially what it started out as. First, it started out as this can be this, obviously, like, it, like the t- you sent me an article the other day about the initial monster movie. And this was going to be kind of a follow-up in a sense like competition it was going to feature an octopus godzilla was supposed to be giant octopus attack city and as they kind of thought out the process and like whoa we got one shot really because toho was kind of at the end of the rope around this time like we got one shot let's let's fucking go for it so they actually got creative and they created gojira which somehow means both wolf and whale, or gorilla and whale, something like that. So I don't know how we got lizard out of that, but that might just be a translation issue. <laughs> uh, how, you've seen this movie before, right? Like, yeah. Before we reviewed it? Yeah, I'd seen it once before, I think right around when it initially came out. 1954? Um, no. I know you're old, but I didn't know you are that old. Uh, and doing my research, as some of you guys know, when I watch a film, I like to read up on it. Uh this version of Godzilla did not come to home video until 2006 in America. Actually, 2004. I have a written. No, no, no. 2004, it came back in theaters. You couldn't buy this fucker and view it at home until 2006. No, I, I'll correct you there because I specifically looked it up because I thought, like, it's weird that Godzilla was always kind of like the silly Japanese B movie that you really didn't see. 
but it's because the initial one, this first one that we're discussing, was more of a political piece that really criticized the U.S. mostly, and they're dropping the bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Uh, Criterion Collection released it in 2004. Oh, was it out in 2004? DVD and, oh, Blu-ray didn't exist, and they weren't going to do VHS at the time. No. It just was kind of dying already by then. So 2004, the Criterion Collection put it out, and that, along with the the last big Godzilla, maybe it was like a, not 2000, Final Wars maybe? Final Wars, I think. It was 2004, and both of those, since they had wide release, and you know, 1954 came to the U.S. for the first time, they actually went and backlogged all of the old Japanese 60s, 70s, 80s Godzillas to the U.S. Like, that was when we kind of got a big wave because of how popular the original got to be. Well, the Raymond Burr one is what brought it to America, uh, King of the Monsters. Critically panned. It was despised. Beloved. Steven Spielberg's favorite Godzilla film. It is, and actually, I saw that he (laughs) took inspiration from that film for Jurassic Park. Yeah. Jurassic Park apparently takes a lot of inspiration from Godzilla, King of the Monsters. The movie is critically panned, but it became a darling of drive-in theaters. Yeah. And the success of drive-in theaters with this Godzilla film, The King of the Monsters with Raymond Burr, kind of changed the entire trajectory of the franchise from there. Well, yeah. And just real quick, I want to touch upon that because I, I watched that one as well. Um, drastically changes the tone. It plays a lot more like your typical atomic monster movie for America, very... Saturday morning matinee monster flick. Um, one thing I did really notice is it's completely restructured, re-edited. Uh, new scenes are added with Raymond Burr to kind of Americanize it and give us, you know, a focal person to kind of follow and kind of narrate what the hell's going on. So do you know how they kind of did that to make it seem a little more seamless? There was 20 minutes initially cut out of the original film, mm-hmm. and they added 30 minutes. So it's actually even a longer runtime. But they filmed Burr with Japanese-American extras. So it would seem a little more seamless as if he was in the film all along. They actually did a pretty good job, I have to say. Uh, the only thing that feels weird is we're constantly cutting back to Raymond Burr. And it almost seems to lose momentum doing that. Because we're seeing stuff happen, we cut to him, and he's kind of giving us a monologue. And it's just like, just figure out a better way of doing it. It just... It was seamless in the editing, and Raymond Burr's pretty good in it. I'm just saying it felt like... Kind I get what dull, they're... Like, almost monologuing. Yeah. It's not even monotone monologue. It's not like... Like, we both watched the original as well, and kind of the Japanese counterpart, the original, I guess, is a radio announcer. And this guy is fucking screaming and going for it on that mic as he dies. Up until he dies, they all die on the tower. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't seen the Burr, so you'll have to school me on this. I don't know what version you've seen of King of the Monsters. But originally, when King of the Monsters came out, most of the Japanese dialogue was either subtitled extremely poorly or completely left untranslated. Untranslated. Uh, That's the one I saw. So you're you're left following Raymond, who is mostly getting everything from his translator. Okay, so a lot of it is just like, you're seeing it would people be Japanese talk, babbling at that point. Like, you're see, yeah, you're seeing people talk, and then his translator kind of gives him the gist, and then he monologues about other things because a lot of it is taking place in the past. Like he is 
reminiscing about what got him to the point. Because Godzilla's attack on Tokyo is kind of where this film is picking up. Like, we find Raymond in the hospital, and he's reminiscing, and then we get to that point and move forward to see the end. Oh, so it's the whole film, like, restructured that. Yeah, 100%. Oh, that's bizarre. I thought he was just kind of inserted throughout. No, they decided to set it up that way so, like, his monologues would make more sense. Gotcha. So, okay, you've seen both. Which would you prefer? Well, I can tell you I gave Raymond Burr's two stars um, because it does feel a little weird. Uh, cutting back and forth, you lose some of the momentum. It didn't really have that fun or thrilling aspect of the Saturday matinee ones, and it doesn't really pack a punch like the original. It's just kind of there. It, at this point in time, it's pointless, but I think it is an important film because it did bring Godzilla to America. I mean, I would argue it even kept the franchise alive. Not that it wasn't successful in Japan, but like I said, the drive-in theater industry is what made Godzilla essentially what it is. And yeah. that movie with Raymond Burr, as much as I dislike it, is what gave birth to Godzilla, as the icon is known today. Did like, you... After that, he wasn't the destroyer of Japan. Typically, he's the savior. Yeah, I was going to ask, did you actually know there's a third version? Is there? What's the third version? The third version is a French version that came out the year later. So 1956 or I 55 was the American version. Right. I so believe 56. it was 56. The French version came out, and they made a hybrid of both the original and the Raymond Burr. Oh. I've never seen it. I, I only found so, out about it, and it's like, that's weird, and moved on. So I wonder if it's good, though. Like, is it? Well, I guess you don't know, but the, I wonder if the Japanese is translated in that, too. No idea. Because a good hybrid, I would not be opposed to. Yeah, I mean, but, if anyone's actually seen it, it'd be interesting to hear about. But before we go completely off of the difference between the American and the original, uh, I've looked up reviews and I've I've got a kind of idea of what happens in the Burr version, and I've heard that the Japanese version is a lot lighter on its score, using it more to punctuate certain scenes, while it seems like the American version, you know, King of Monsters, is blaring music a lot of the time, and it typically just kind of overshadows most of the Japanese dialogue. Like, it's almost like they're trying to hide it to keep Americans interested. Um, I wouldn't say they were trying to hide it. They just Americanized the film. I mean, if you've seen B-movies of the 1950s, there's always music and shit like that going on. So they, they just completely Americanized the film, and they definitely cut down a lot of the, the scenes with the Japanese dialogue because they just didn't translate it. So... I sent you a video a few weeks ago of Captain Christian on YouTube, fantastic channel with this video essays. He kind of goes over a lot of the differences between them. And at one point he uses the example of when Godzilla attacks Tokyo, I think the second time, he's actually walking through the city. There's a scene where there is a, a woman holding her two or three children and telling them, it's okay, we'll be with daddy soon, trying to comfort them knowing they're about to die. And they do die. The whole city is on fire, and mm -hmm. the building is raging in flames. In the Japanese version, you know, you can hear her say that, and you can just hear the crackle of the fire as it goes on around her. While the American version, it's loud score drowning out her dialogue completely, and you can barely hear the fire. And that's my 
example of that. Like, that's my yep. understanding of kind of the tone they went with King of the Monsters. Well, yeah, you got to realize that the quote-unquote director of this was mostly an editor. He had made a couple films, and it's smart to bring an editor in to make an American version, and basically the studio just wanted an American monster movie. Right. They didn't give a shit what the Japanese were going for with their allegory and all of that. They just wanted a monster movie like King Kong and all the others. Mm-hmm. So that's well, what they turned it into. I feel like we've talked a lot about King of the Monsters and the differences. So easing out of that, I want to talk about how it's written and the plot. The, the story is written extremely carefully to be obvious enough that it is very anti-nuclear weapon, very... Oh, the whole thing's an allegory for the bombs dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Right. It's blatant. But they had to work so carefully around propaganda laws and censorship because the the movie was produced during an American occupation. It would be released shortly after the occupation ended. But, you know, it's post-war Japan. So there's extremely strict propaganda laws. So the fact that they kind of got away with what they did is incredible. Well, I think it's honestly a little more impactful with how they present it, too. Because, like, one of the scenes that stand out to me, the people on the train talking about having to evacuate Tokyo as Godzilla's coming, and the lady saying, I survived Nakasaki, I'm not worried about this. Mm-hmm. It's just like, holy fuck. <laughs> well, I mean, everything about Godzilla is meant to remind you, hey, this is because of those bombings. This is because of nuclear testing. And you can see that from his initial appearance. And I'm putting heavy quotes on that because you don't even really see him. The start of the film is the boats on the ocean. And and I uh, I guess I buried my lead here. Uh, I read the novel, the novelization that just got uh, translated and released in the U.S. for the Ooh, first time. How was that? It's fantastic. My only thing with it is... It's written in a way that I can imagine all this, and then when I saw the film, it felt like I'm watching a fan film of the script. Ah. Because, like, all of it's there, and it does an amazing job of representing what the movie is, but it, obviously, in 50s, you're not going to make this amazing, huge movie that I can imagine today. Right. But even in the book, the scene at the beginning where all the boats are on the ocean, and there's the white light and boiling in the ocean... It kind of paints a better picture of that, uh, where it's dark. It's at night. You can't really film at night in the 50s. It just didn't work, especially out in the ocean. Mm -hmm. So they shot it in the day, and you can barely tell, but the ocean is glowing. And they do a little rotoscoping with an airbrush, but it's not as you'd imagine. The ocean's glowing. It's boiling over, and it's meant to represent the the atomic testing in the Pacific in the 50s. After the war was over, and the U.S. is still like, hey, we should probably figure out some more bombs. Oppenheimer pussed out on us. (laughs) So, in reading the book, it's not something I ever thought about prior, but in reading the book is hit you over the head with the allegory, obvious. And all the way into his design. His design has this shriveled hide that is meant to resemble the survivors of the bombings, like with their scarred skin and their their horrible, like, just all of it looks like a tumor. It's meant right. to look like it's supposed to be somewhat grotesque. And uh, the scene I was talking about earlier where all of the radio announcers, I was going to say television, but that wasn't <laughs> as much a thing, uh, all the radio announcers are actually on a radio tower and Godzilla attacks them. And in that scene, his head is bent to silhouette 
the mushroom cloud of the bombs. And it's like almost striking imagery because this whole movie, as silly as it seems to us now, is like cathartic to the Japanese audiences at the time. It's almost like this healing, hey, we're accepting this as we're giving the monster a face. Like the disaster, the evil a face. And it's Godzilla. Yeah, no, and that was kind of my big takeaway even watching the film was just how somber it is was shocking to me. It's a, it's almost like a slow-paced horror film, really. If you're putting yourself in the perspective of the target audience, which is the Japanese in a post-war Japan who are living with this trauma, the bombs were insane. Like, could you imagine if two cities got wiped out in a couple of days? Like... Like, if New York City and L.A. were just gone by Monday. Right. That's That'd be scary, knowing that that power is still out there, but you live through that. It's like a setting event. Like, 9-11 is to us. Like, that was a huge event that country doesn't forget. It took a long time to heal from. Right. Uh, you mentioned trains earlier, the lady on the train scene. Mm-hmm. In rewatching the few that we're going to be covering, I, I learned, really, trains are a huge huge thing in Japan. Oh, yeah. And I don't mean like trains themselves, but like part of their culture. And apparently that's because it was, it represents the modernization of Japan. Like they went from their traditional values and everything to more of a industrial, commercial. Like they've It was a hard on. shift for them too. It, it was like a huge turning point in the culture completely. And they tend to think of the trains as the moment that started. So trains are re- like revered in Japan. So in rewatching these, I'm, I know I'll talk about it in the other films too, but Godzilla always attacks trains or trains have something to do with it. And it's always like this major key point. And for us, that would be like, you know, two, three years after 9-11, if a monster came and was like taking out buildings by throwing planes at them. Like, <laughs> like that, that would be the only equivalent I could even think of for us. But that's like a very striking thing there. Like, right. As a cultural... Yeah, like when he is literally chewing on a train and tossing it, stomping on the tracks, Mm -hmm. the bridges, all that, yeah. I think everyone should see this film. I think it's a very important film. And if you go in thinking that it is, as I described, uh, the King of the Monsters, Americanized version, as a Saturday matinee monster flick, this is not that. No, This is not that at all. It is taken very seriously, and it has a very somber tone to it. I think that's what I love about it, though. Like, I love that they take it seriously. And the suit, as silly as it looks at times, and I watched this with my wife, the suit just seems kind of goofy, but, I mean, if I saw that, like, climbing over a hill, at me, like we see at Odo Island at the, in the first act, I'd be terrified of that fucking thing. Like, if there's just this giant thing crawling over the hills, and don't even have like skyscraper shit. This is just an island with like shacks, essentially. That's yeah. that's terrifying. It's like we're just prey. We're just here for its enjoyment, amusement. Right. Um. Well, speaking on the special effects, a lot of people give the Godzilla film shit for their special effects and quality and all of that. And I have to point out that's the later films. This one is taken very seriously, and for the time, the effects of this are quite good. I think a lot of them even hold up. Like, this film is very well shot, and the fact that they even rotoscoped in the light like they did was impressive for the time, because rotoscoping wouldn't be really huge until the 
late sixties and seventies. Well, plus like uh, when when he's powering up, that was hand painted. Mm-hmm. They had to paint, hand paint all that on, or his footprints on Odo Island, hand painted. Uh, the amount of like layering of film work is incredible. Now I will say, occasionally you'll see a hand puppet Godzilla, and you'll want to laugh at it, but the the tone doesn't allow you. When a mother is telling her two children, we'll be a daddy soon, you're not going to laugh seeing this puppet. You're almost like, not not in tears, but I'm, I'm sitting there kind of choking up a bit when I come across that scene every time, because it's like, this is a very real thing for them. I mean, this is almost a one for one, like it mimics the bombs. They see the light coming at them, but what can you do but hold your loved ones close and accept it? Right. Yeah, it's 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 a tough watch at times. It really hits you, and it's not one that you're going to put on and have a hell of a lot of fun with, like a lot of the 1950s monster movies, but it's an important film. Um, and I think that's what gets lost when talking about these Godzilla films, because he did become silly Goofy. and dance and shit like that in the 70s. And that that's, little jump dance thing yeah. he does, yeah. That's the Godzilla I grew up knowing. And to see this is really interesting. Like, I was telling my wife last night when we were watching uh, Shin, I was like, I grew up with the silly-ass Godzilla, so I don't take the character seriously. Saeed grew up watching the prestigious (laughs) Godzilla. Do you think that's what I grew up watching? My first Godzilla film was Godzilla 98. And I'll talk more about that next week when we talk about Godzilla 98. But that alone kept me away from a franchise because I thought this is just silly, goofy nonsense. Until 2016 when I saw Shin Godzilla. And I was like, oh, shit, this is like actually a, a proper movie. This is like, <laughs> takes it seriously. And then I, after that, I went back and watched the original of this film and blew me away. Like, I don't... I, I mean, I get it. I get it because there's a lot of politics involved with this film. Even just making it, they had to try to avoid propaganda censorship laws imposed by the U.S. So the U.S. is not going to freely be like, yeah, bring your bring your anti-U.S. film over here. We'll, we'd love it. But the fact that it did get the Raymond Burr Americanized version at all is impressive. Like, well, it, this movie was a mega hit in Japan. They're like, all right, fuck it, we'll figure out some way to do this. Yeah. One last thing that really surprised me about this is it's not structured at all like it's a monster film it's structured like a war film yeah it is 100 percent structured like you're watching a war film where uh there's an initial attack and then you have you know the people trying to figure out what's going on and it, it literally plays out like you're watching a war film which i found really interesting i never really put those together until this viewing but i thought that was really interesting uh this viewing i i mean after reading the book i almost feel like i have more context now i have more ideas of of what they're trying to convey to me because watching it i never watched it dubbed i always try to watch subtitled and even then some things get lost in translation the book was translated by a japanese american language professor here in the u.s in colorado i believe so i believe it's done a lot more faithfully than it needed to be and the context puts it in that more 
were in post-war. Like, it almost feels like the bombs have dropped and we're trying to survive still. Right. Like, the scary, how do we keep moving forward? And it's, and, uh, well, we haven't even talked about the, 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 I guess, the B story going on with the humans, because for the most part, it's kind of uninteresting. But if we're talking about how the, the war impacted it, it's, you know, by the end, it's uh, Sarazawa, Dr. Sarazawa, makes the oxygen oxygen destroyer, uh, a bomb that just completely eliminates all the oxygen in such and such space, which will atomize Godzilla. He takes his own life at the end. He operates himself and takes his own life. And it's a stunning moment because it's supposed to be like, I'm so terrified of what I've created. And if I were to use it, the world knows that this technology is out there. But I'm the only one who knows how to build it, so I have to die with it because I am a weak man and they will torture it out of me. Right. And I didn't get that before. Every time I've seen it, I always thought like, oh, yeah, he's scared they're going to come after him, whatever. But it's more nuanced than that. It really is like he's accepting of who he is as a person. He's promised to this this woman and he gives that up. He's, he's aware of the evil he's created and he's tormented by it. He's almost traumatized by the fact that he did because he could rather than if he should and that's almost where i see that that influence on spielberg and jurassic park because they share that together uh, malcolm makes the point in jurassic park saying your scientists were preoccupied with whether or not they could they didn't stop to think if they should and sarazawa has that thought and like terror the whole time that he just takes his own life at the end well the whole reason i didn't bring up the human characters yet is because I was saving uh, my howevers, my my detractions for the end, but since you brought it up, the reason I don't think you got it is because I think that doctor is the worst actor in the film. Yeah. It's a bit stoic when it shouldn't be and over the top when it should be stoic. Like, I feel like he's got it all wrong, so the or maybe it's a cultural difference in the way we interact. But it didn't play right to me, so I'm more reading what he's saying, but I'm not getting the right cadence with it. Yeah, I, I, I've I, seen a lot of period films, maybe not enough Japanese, but I just took it as bad acting. And uh, I also thought that the whole love triangle was kind of needless. Yeah, even upon reading the novel, I thought, this is kind of like... We don't need away. it. Yeah, yeah. Let, let's cut that. We well, can make the, the fiancé one fucking character and the scientist. Like, we we don't need both. Like, he can be the detractor that is the scientist that's afraid to use the weapon. Like, we don't need the needless love story, and we don't need the bad actor. You know, I think another thing, and and the, the book, the novelization, is originally written by one of the screenwriters. So this is directly what was written, but not so much what was directed that makes sense and right. so, so there's a whole other thing i didn't i've never knew happened in the movie where there is a cult of godzilla in the city and so the the love triangle we were talking about there's the woman i, I forgot all the names besides sarazawa but there's the woman who is romantically interested in this reporter type of character uh but she's promised to dr sarazawa now this woman's father is actually the professor who is arguing for Godzilla's rights because it's just an animal and we could learn from it. 
So well, he's almost he's seen as this martyr for the cult of Godzilla. The cult calls him their leader because he's fighting for its right as an animal. But in the meantime, they they're sending out all this propaganda. They're dropping flyers everywhere saying like he's their leader and that they're Godzilla's loyalists and all this and that. And it makes people scared of him. And it's almost like this political statement saying, even if you're just of an idea, this is what you represent. But that's not what that idea is. He's fighting for the animal's rights. While the cult is a cult that believes Godzilla should level everything and destroy the city because humanity's done wrong by God. Another thing, though, that you're kind of leaving out is not only was he fighting for Godzilla's rights because it is nothing more than an animal, he's fighting for its rights because of what we can learn from it because it was awakened by the atomic blast and survived it. Right. And that's one of the things that he even says, imagine what we could learn from it and take from it because of the bombings that happened in the past. That's almost... I think if it was fleshed out better in the film, it's fleshed out pretty well in the book, that he and Serizawa are almost a yin and yang, where they're on the same page, but they think about it differently, where he's thinking about how we could learn from Godzilla as it's a defense. Serizawa actually creates a weapon that can kill Godzilla, but is terrified to reveal it or use it because of how it can be used as a weapon in the yeah, future. because and of the ramifications of what he created. But like as a script, as, as an novelization, it, it's amazing. It's fantastic. The film leaves some of that out, or it's kind of lost in translation and with the acting. It just doesn't come up as often. But overall, I think they did a fantastic job. This is a very important... I mean, it's a historical piece, essentially. Oh, absolutely. What would you rate it? Oh, I can't remember. I think I gave it a 4.5 out of 5, because at times the acting is a little off. But overall, I think it's fantastic. Okay. And I, I agree. I do remember my rating. It was four and a half, and it was because of those two things. Like I said, we don't need the needless love story, and the one actor's a bad actor. Like, had this been, yeah, had we had this trimmed down slightly, I, it would have been a perfect film. So, four and a half all around. Yeah. And uh, I guess next week we'll be back with Godzilla 98, the first proper American Godzilla film. You've arrived at your destination.